stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. Howdy, and welcome to another week of the Get Off the Bench podcast. Now, you know that saying, go the distance. It's one thing to set goals. It's another thing to complete them. And I'm guilty of this too. You know, you get this great idea and you're going to do it. Yeah, that'd be fantastic to do that. And then don't actually do it. And there are types of people in the world, you know, who who kickstart ideas or come up with ideas. And then there are other types of people who actually complete them. And the person who comes up with them and completes them is quite a rare kind of person. So today I'm talking with somebody just like that, Tammy Van Wisser. Now, she's, a lot of you will have heard of her. She is an endurance swimmer, but a record-breaking swimmer. And she has... I'm, I'm going to save the list for the podcast, for the uh, in, interview, the list of things she has achieved with the, the places she has swum will blow your mind. She's conquered some of the coldest, deepest and longest waterways on the planet, including Loch Ness, Bass Strait, English Channel and the Murray River. She swam the entire Murray River, two and a half thousand kilometres of it, amassing an astonishing 65,000 kilometres plus, which is equivalent to one and a half times around the planet. I don't know about you guys, but I feel tired just thinking about that. And I'm not a swimmer. I don't like this. I don't like the water at all. I don't know how she's done it, but but Tammy is just... it, not only has she achieved all these amazing goals with swimming, and that that is admirable in itself and inspiring in itself, but on top of that, she is the most beautiful, beautiful person and just so focused on making the world a better place for other people. And uh, I absolutely adore her, and I know you guys will too. So I'm just going to shut up, let's get into it, and let's go. Welcome, Tammy. Hi, Karen. It's great to see you. Ah, you too. And I tell you what, you're going to be at our Girls with Hammers conference in a couple of weeks and I am hanging to hear your story. So I kind of cheated and I got in first so I could hear it before anyone else. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm so pumped to come along. I'm just incredibly excited. I think it's going to be amazing and everybody's going to walk away with so much, you know, being such a high-spirited event. Yeah, I think it's just going to be great. So, yeah, can't wait. Oh, good. And you're going to be knackered by the end of the day. So you better bring energy pills. <laughs> oh, hey, mate, you know, I, re- I go the distance, remember? I was going to say that. <laughs> I was going to say that. You've swam around the planet one and a half times. I don't reckon you need many energy pills. No, we'll, we'll, that's we'll, be, we'll need them to keep up with you. <laughs> Endurance is my thing, so you know, I'm not very quick, but I can keep going. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, well, you'll be good. You'll be the only one still buzzing, wanting to dance at the end of the night, and the rest of us will be like, Tammy, we got to stop. Stop it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be like, but I thought we were just getting going. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, That's God. the warm-up, isn't it? What, what have I done? <laughs> <laughs> might have to be a two-day event. Yeah, might have to be. <laughs> One for the rest of us and two for Tammy. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> oh God. I tell you what, I'm I'm hanging to talk to you about this stuff because you know, you know, I I've known of you for a long, long time. You know, when I was a kid, you know, well, not when I was a kid, but when I was young, that's not true because you're younger than me. When I was younger, you know, I used to see you on the tally and all that kind of stuff and think to myself, I could never do that. I could never swim across the English Channel. And I, I'm scared of bloody water. So when watching you and just that's a, that, that brings this fear, the fear of God to my heart, you know, but you just get out like, you know, and I remember seeing you on the TV getting out of the water with Dawn Fraser, you know, just there and it was kind of like these people are incredible. They're just incredible to do this stuff. So I get so much admiration for what you've done and that's not the only thing you've done. Let's You can respond oh. and then I'll read the list. Uh, well, well, first of all, thank you. That's really beautiful of you to say that. It's, you know, it's funny because, um, you know, now reflecting back, I think, yeah, it's lovely to have done all those things, but it's not so much the achievements that you remember, but it's the journey, you know, it's yeah. all the things that you went through that prepare you for other things on land. So, yes. so it's, it's been lovely and, and, you know, it's great to really have met all these amazing people and just to have all these experiences and pick up all these skills that help you get through challenges that you don't expect, you know, like it's all right in the water, I'm prepared. I know what challenges to expect, but on land, I tell you, that throws some curveballs at you. So I think that's really helped me, especially during the COVID and stuff as well, just to, you know, to be in the right headspace yeah. and to always have that positive attitude. So I've I've just been so lucky and so blessed to, you know, to have the opportunity to do all these things and, and to meet amazing people like Dawn Fraser. I still I still have to pinch myself, you know, like when I was swimming and I look up at the boat and I'd see Dawn there, I'd have to, oh, my God, that's Dawn Fraser and she's here for me. Like it was just incredible. So, yeah. How <laughs> it's fantastic. a bit surreal. Yeah. Well, I tell you, you know, when you say about um, uh, land throwing your curveballs, I reckon that's because there's more people on the land than when you're out in the water. There's less people, there's less shit. <laughs> true, true, true. Yes. Well, well, you were talking about fears before. And actually, when I started um, open water swimming, because I transitioned, I was a pool swimmer for many, many years. And when I transitioned into the open water, my biggest fear was the things that lived out in the ocean. And I was like, you'd think that I just, you know, you'd think that someone who can swim really well would just get in there and swim. But I was so timid. I was so scared. And it took me a little bit of time to overcome that fear. And and my biggest fear was sharks. And yeah. um <laughs> And, and I had to make it a rational worry. Same thing. I had to think, okay, well, there's probably more sharks on land than there are in the water. So, <laughs> you know, true. there's people that are coming out to get you. So, so you really do try and turn it around. And that's, you know, you have to put your fears under the microscope. And that's when I sort of realised, yeah, you know, have to make it, you have to really calm your mind because it can just run away and, and make things into such a big deal. And I think a lot of us have this, no matter what it is, you know, we have this fear of change because this was such a big change for me. So I think anytime we do something new, straight away, that little, voice in the head starts you know sort of tapping you on the shoulder and going oh, I don't know whether you can do this and oh, aren't you scared about this and this and this and that's when you kind of you start to panic and and you really have to take it back and go back into your mind and say okay all right let's look at these things logically 
am I really going to get eaten by a shark? And then, you know, have a look at the statistics. And it is still very scary. And I'm not going to deny that I don't still get like the heart palpitation, especially when I'm swimming, because, you know, you're looking down into the ocean and you see this like peripheral shadow move out of the corner of your goggles. And immediately the first thing that plays in your mind is the Steven Spielberg music, of course. <laughs> so again, you know, you have to kind of, you know, but I've got a crew looking out for me. So again, I trust in my crew. So you put precautions in place. Like I often swim in a shark cage. So, you know, I love to use that adrenaline and think, okay, it's going to make you swim faster. Just use that to swim faster now. So. <laughs> You're always going to look for the positives, right? <laughs> well, I can tell you, I, I went um, out on a, a dolphin swim. You know, which which uh, it's a safe one. It's not you're not allowed near the dolphins. You know, it, and the seals if they come to you, that's fine. But you're not allowed to go there. And so I thought, yeah, this will be so good. This is in Port Phillip Bay, and we all know Port Foot. Port Phillip Bay is full of bloody sharks, and if you don't, well, trust me, it is. Um, and anyway, especially in the, especially out near the channel. Yeah, sorry, I'm not meant to say that because they try to hide that fact. But anyway, um, I was out. I went. I jumped off the boat, and what they said to you was, um, you know, it, it, don't worry about sharks because all you'll see is brown, and it won't even be shit. It's a big body exploding, and I'm like, oh my god, father. Anyway, I had these lime green flippers on. And they were lime, like really like iridescent lime. And I jumped in the water, put my mask on and looked down and I couldn't even see my bright green flippers. And so I was, they said, put your hand up if you want to get back in the boat. And I put my hand up. I look up and the boat's bloody to gone. He was doing, he was doing a circle. And I, you talk about swim, I could have beaten any of your records, I tell you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I shat myself. Absolutely. Adrenaline, I tell you what, that adrenaline, that fear makes you do incredible things, doesn't it? <laughs> I was out of that water. I reckon I walked on water. I put Jesus to shame that day. I tell you what, I was bloody terrified. <laughs> I'm so glad you talked about fears because, you know, fears is, and, and I, you know what I really love about fears is that, uh, most of them are not even real, you know, and, and I, no. I do this in a lot of my um, training and that. It's like, let, let, let's really look at it. Is it real or is it perceived? And and 99% of our fears are bloody perceived, you know. We build know. up a story and, and, and really sharks, I mean, I, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm terrified of water, but, you know, but really you've got more chance of being killed in a bloody car accident than being eaten by a shark, but. Do, do you know what now? Because because sharks are obviously my thing. I've done so much research into the statistics, and um, I actually found out that you are thirty times more likely to be hit on the head by a falling coconut and die than you are <laughs> to be eaten by a shark. <laughs> I bet you didn't know that. Yeah, no, but I've got a story about that. I was in Hawaii and sitting under a bloody coconut tree, and I'm not, I'm not shitting you, with my with my nephew who was only be seven at the time, and I'm not shitting you, was sitting there eating lunch and a coconut fell and it missed his head by about two centimetres. It just went boom, right next to him. So I tell you. You, you can actually get hit on the head by coconut, but he... You absolutely can. Like, honestly, I, I looked at that statistic and I thought, mm, yeah, well, I guess it depends on where you live. If you're in Hawaii, you've got a much higher <laughs> chance, but, you know...
Well, the trick is don't get under a bloody coconut tree. <laughs> yes. Now, now, if you learn nothing else from this podcast, that is worth gold, isn't it? Like, you're get welcome. Get the hell away from coconut trees. <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Tammy, I'm going to read a list of your achievements and, and it, it it blows my bloody mind. And I have to read them because it's like, holy crap. So, so swim, <laughs> swim, running one and a half times around the planet. Fastest woman to swim the Cook Strait in New Zealand. The first and only person in the world to swim the Bass Strait, which is Tasmania to Victoria. The fastest person to swim Loch Ness in Scotland. The fastest person to swim the length of the Murray River, which is two and a half thousand kilometres. Uh, the um, what else was that? You broke the world record for New York, New York to New Jersey. Um, and you got a day named after you in New Jersey. You won the. Um, Mar- Manhattan Island Marathon race. You've done two solo swims of the of the English Channel. You've lifesaver of the year. You've won over 150 Victorian state life saving titles. Um, see, I'm getting all tongue tied saying them. Um, the Australian <laughs> Geographic Adventurer of the Year. You're the ambassador for the National Drowning Prevention Day and Play It Safe by the Water. The ambassador for the Male Hug, which is raising awareness for men's mental health, which is fantastic. And I and you've also Guinness books. Guinness books, Guinness Book of Records <laughs> record holder, um, for the one of your first swims. But uh, you have broken like almost all of your stuff is record breaking. But the first one was um, swimming the Bass Strait to enter the Guinness Book of Records. Tammy, oh, you you may be an ex, an endurance swimmer, but I'm not an endurance bloody list reader. <laughs> I tell you what, that is uh, that is an incredible list of achievements i want to unpack some but that is an incredible list i know you said you you. for the achievements yeah yeah, look it is um like i said you know i don't think about that so much anymore these days it's they're they're wonderful memories and they're wonderful experiences and it's and it's more the people now that i still i still am connected to because even though you think like marathon swimming is a solo sport really um I have people, I wouldn't do it without my support crew, my team, my family, you know, the people that pull me together when I fall apart, they're like the glue that brings me back into track and keep me going. So, you know, and they, they look after my safety, they, they navigate me, they feed me. So, you know, I'm pretty much like a baby. I'm in the water and all I have to do is swim and they take care of everything else for me. So, you know, when, when you have the peace of mind to know that you've got great people around you um, that have your back, no matter what, you know, you can do amazing things. And And I've been, so very lucky to have this incredible support crew the whole way along. And I think, you know, that's the highlight for me is it just makes you realise that, you know, we're all connected and we're meant to help each other because there's no greater feeling than sharing the success. And I think, you know, my most magical moments are, you know, sharing all of these things with my crew. Like they're just, you know, moments I'll never forget. It's just like, hey, we did this, you know, together. Like even Bass Strait, we we laughed about it at the end. I had, we sat down, Dawn, Dawn came over and gave you a hug. And, and I remember actually one of the news reporters saying to Dawn, is this as good as winning an Olympic gold medal? And she said, actually, it's better. And I think, you know, for her being part of a support crew like that, you know, being part of a team, we all just pull together and we all help each other and and just goes to show what incredible things we can do, what adversity we can overcome when we work together. We're so much stronger together. So, yeah, so thanks for reading out. (laughs) It's a a bit of a, yeah, it reminds me too, you know. (laughs) 
that's a great list. And and you know when you said about um achievements, you know you said oh you know they're just achievement. It, it is it is what I'm what, what I'm loving about this is that you achieve one thing and then you move to the next. And there's there there is a, a, a mentality, and I'm not criticizing it, but you know we're we're often taught, for example, when we're in school, once you're a teacher, you'll be happy. You know, once you get a good wage, you'll be happy. Once you buy a house, you'll be happy. And we we sort of live for these things, and then we go, well, that's done. And now, shit, I'm actually not happy. And sometimes we stop at an achievement, you know, instead of. We, what we should do is get the achievement, go far out and really celebrate it and then go, what's next? What's my next thing that I can grow at? And, and that's exactly what you've done. It's 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 lovely. And I love you talking about your support crew. And I want to just, you know, you and I had a phone call the other day and, you know, I've been laughing about it since actually and about you saying, um, you know, you really love your songs and, of course, you can't listen to your songs. Well, you probably bloody could now. I don't know. They've probably got some underwater pod pod thing that you can, you know, God, I don't know. Anyway, because I'm not te- <laughs> I'm not going to find out. But anyway, you were telling me. <laughs> you were telling me. Yeah. That- you swim and they've got songs up on a whiteboard. Tell, tell us yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so, you know, so really... My swims, so so to cope with, you know, such big distances and, and you know, huge challenges, I, I break things up. So the swim for me is um, a series of 30 minutes because I feed, I stop, I tread water and, and the crew, you know, provide me with some sustenance and I stop for about, you know, 30 seconds to a minute and then I get going again. Um, so in my mind, I'm swimming for 30 minute blocks and in between all of that, um, I've, you know, memorised a lot of music because, as you said, like back in the day, we're going back 30 years now. I hate to say that, but anyway, <laughs> they didn't have the underwater Walkmans or yeah. or any of those sorts of things. In fact, the only thing that I did try once was when we used to train at the old Dandenong pool, they had the synchronised swimmers in doing their routines <laughs> and they actually had music underwater and I was fascinated. I thought, how did they get this music underwater? So yeah. I went up and I spoke to them and um, they have these underwater speakers that they drop in so I asked if I could borrow them and I actually used them um, for a swim around Port Phillip Bay we put them just inside my shark cage because I was swimming in the shark cage for that one and and I and I didn't really listen to much music because I thought I'm going to have these speakers I had all the ABBA lined up I had all the things and Dawn was really excited because it had a microphone and she could speak into it and I'd be able to hear her (laughs) under the water too which I wasn't looking forward to because I thought I might want to turn that volume down a bit but anyway (laughs) so I'm waiting and waiting for the music to start and I could couldn't hear it they had it on full blast what we didn't take into account is in the pool the the sound waves um, bounce off the walls walls. of the pool and it's a stagnant body of water where here I am I'm moving all the time in this huge ocean so couldn't hear anything so I had to revert back to just the playlist in the mind but yeah it's quite it's quite normal for me to listen to heaps and heaps of music in the lead up to a swim and even watch movies. There are even scenes from movies that I can sort of replay. And it's just, a, you know, a way of keeping me going. Music is really uplifting. Like yeah. music yeah. really moves your soul. And I think, you know, it's just you have your favourite songs and when you're feeling really down, if you can kind of listen to those songs 
that really yep. helps us pick you up and keep you going. But I also, I give the crew like my playlist as well. And so the only way I communicate is through a whiteboard. So they write a message, they hold it up, you know, and I, once I'm breathing, I can read it. So I quite often get them to write me, you know, songs so that it jogs my memory as well. So that I go, oh yeah, I forgot about that song. And I might, you know, start playing that song. And I also get them to write me jokes and draw silly pictures. And so it's a bit of a combination that, that really is my connection with the outside world. And they, that, like I said, they really help me to keep going without that, you know, sort of banter, that connection with yeah. them and, and the things they wrote on that whiteboard. I, I would, you know, really suffer so much more trying to sort yeah. of endure, you know, 18, 20 hours of swimming. Wow. And so 18, 20 hours, how many hours would you do in a day? Like I know you do 30-minute blocks, but in, in one whole day, how many hours would you go for? So so it depends on the swim. So Bass Strait took me 18 hours. Um, the longest non-stop swim I've ever done was 22 hours. So that's the longest I've ever been in the water non-stop. Wow. Um, the Murray was uh, three and a half months uh, or 106 days, consecutive days of swimming. Yeah. But... Um, but obviously I was stopping and getting out because it's, you know, you can't swim that far all in one go. So it was usually six to eight hours a day on average. Yeah. And then, you know, we'd camp on the river and then jump back in again in the morning and off we go again. So same sort of deal, just, you know, they had the whiteboard writing me messages again because it was, you know, the longevity of it was the hardest part. It's just, you know, getting in day after day after day when you're, yeah. when you're sick, when you're tired, um, you know, so many things go wrong, so many little niggles and, you know, chafing from, bathers and yeah. oh just yuck. yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I have welts you know you end up with welts because it just it's a rubbing point so you know you put as much sort of you know Vaseline underneath your bathers as you can but it just becomes a hot spot so and once it starts it's really hard to you know to maintain it and the scary thing for me with the Murray was is that um, I was worried that I might get an infection because I've got an open wound. So that yeah. was the, the the thing that we had to stay on top of. So you've got to really think about small things that can bring you down. So yeah. it's, it's so much planning goes into these things. So I think, you know, probably what people wouldn't know is that um, it's not just about the swimming for me. It's the logistics. It's it's actually getting to the start line. It's the hardest point. It's like coordinating a team, putting them together, working out how am I going to get the funding, um, you know, how am I going to pay for a boat, the media, the communications from a safety perspective because it's not just about my safety but, like, you know, we're out in the middle of Bass Strait and say one of my crew falls over on the boat, you know, we've got to work out what are we going to do. So, you know, you look at trying to carry, you know, obviously all the medical supplies and have, like, the equivalent of a paramedic or a doctor on board. Um, what's plan B? What's the closest hospitals? Um, how do we communicate with them? So often we have satellite phones for, you know, backup plans. So it's like you've got contingency after contingency. So you're always, I guess, looking at worst case scenarios and saying, how can we plan for this? But obviously you can't cover everything. So there's always stuff that surprises you. But, you know, that, again, that's where, you know, I'm so fortunate to have a great team because we mm. work so well together and we're able to, you know, sort of yeah. our motto has always been adapt, overcome and improvise. And that's sort Ooh. of, you know, what we do in a swim. So, yeah. I love it. Do you, do you have the same crew every time or, or similar people every I time? Yeah, I've been lucky enough to have similar people most of the time because when I started life-saving, I started that before I did the marathon swimming. So one of my first swims was to go across Port Phillip Bay and that was to do it as a warm-up for the English Channel. Same distance, 
thought, okay, well, this will just, you know, give you a bit of a test out. And because I was competing in the life-saving, we, they have um, boating squads, the IRB, those little red inflatable yeah. rubber duckies they call them. Yeah. And um, so the head of the boating squad, I sort of approached him and said, you know, I need I need some support crew and um, I need boats and stuff like that. So I worked together. I started, that's when the connection started with the Royal Life-Saving Society and I ended up, um, a guy by the name of Mark Scott who's been like, amazing coordinates all my safety and logistics stayed with me pretty much the whole way same with my you know my boat captain same deal you know met met this great fisherman and and you know it was a bit skeptical you know I said I want to swim across Port Phillip Bay and he kind of laughed showed me pictures of sharks in his office and went yeah 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 and um but after that first swim it was like they were all they were all hooked like as much as me like to the point where I get calls saying so when are we doing a next swim what wow. have we got next, Tammy? Because just, I guess, because it's an adventure, like, you know, it's it's such an exciting thing to do and when you get, you know, a really good group of people who really believe in the cause and, um, you know, are doing something outside of their normal day as well. It just generates such a great vibe. So, so I've been pretty fortunate to have that same core group for, you know, most of the swims here. The Murray was a little bit more tricky because, I needed um, a crew for three and a half months. And, of course, I didn't have the funding to be able to pay. They're they're all volunteers pretty much. So I can't, you know, I can't afford to pay other than expenses and stuff like that. I can't do wages and things like that because I needed about 12 people to be with me on any given day because I needed a water support crew and a land support crew. So land crew would pack up camp, move further down, stay in touch with us and just, you know, be ready to sort of get the boats, refuel the boats at the end of the day. So, So much to think about so so wow. it was like a ro- roster system and I actually I remember going on 3AW I was on Ernie Sigler's show yeah. beautiful Ernie Sigler. and I was actually calling for volunteers and I had people just you know ring up and say yeah yeah I can give you three weeks here I've got holidays and so there were people I, I hadn't like worked with before so wow. that was the element of surprises trying to have a cohesive team with new members coming in and trying to teach them what to do and how how swim operates and um yeah trying to keep everybody together because it was kind of like big brother on the water you know it's not like we were in luxury accommodation we were in you know tents and caravans and camping and so everybody was in each other's face pretty much you know all day every day so yeah made for a made for a, a tricky environment but again you know we tried to plan lots of fun things as well so whenever we had you know a few spare hours we'd we'd go into a local town if we were near a town and yeah. you know we'd do dress up nights raid the op shop and just try and keep it fun as well to keep people's spirits up the whole way along so yeah so massive adventure that one that's for wow. sure <laughs> so when you when you were talking about the um, Murray before you know about the infection and that sort of stuff and something that I you know read out was you were um I did I, I don't know if I did read it out, but um, you call yourself the human water quality tester, you know, for um, swimming the length of the Murray. But you're also um, champ, a champion for changing, for change, champion for change, highlighting the Murray River's environmental, um, you know, problems and like, all that kind of yeah. stuff. So what what's, um, when I think about swimming the Murray River, I think about, ew, you know, I, I'm going to, touch a log and I'm going to shit myself <laughs> my feet are going to touch my hands will touch something and yuck oh my god and then I'll start squealing you know but yeah. so for you you're, you're kind of like you, we we all know there's a problem with the Murray and all you know the cod are dying out and and it's it's sort of not 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 a good system but was it that bad then or like what, what did you why did you start thinking there was a, a 
a water quality problem with it. Did it taste like <laughs> shit or did you know it was crappy before you got in? <laughs> I don't know. Um, okay, so so I'll, I'll preface it by saying, so I, when I first started marathon swimming, I was fortunate enough to travel, you know, pretty much around the world doing swims in lakes, rivers mm. and oceans in, in some beautiful places and some pretty horrendous places. And probably one of the ones that stood out to me was um, when I did this race around Manhattan Island, it's a 48-kilometre 40, swim, and you and you sort of circumnavigate the island of Manhattan. And I remember going to the pre-race briefing and the race organiser sat us all down and there was like 50 international competitors. And I was pretty nervous because it was my first big race. And Dawn was there with me. She'd come to the briefing mm-hmm. and the race organiser said to all of us, now... Just past the halfway mark, you're going to be swimming past a sewage plant. Ooh. We want you to take a wide berth around the sewage plant because we don't want it to suck you in. Oh, at, at this point, at this point, I'm just going, is this real life? I'm looking at Dawn. I'm having like panic, full-on anxiety, panic attacks, <laughs> picturing myself ending up on this pile of poo, being sucked into this sewage plant and ending up on this pile of poo, right? Not not a great way to go out on my first international competition. But Dawn, she's looking at me and she's got this, you know, sturdy look on her face and she goes, Tammy, he's telling a lie. Sewage plants, they don't suck things in. No, they push they out. Spit yeah. them out. <laughs> well, needless to say, um, we did take a wide berth around the sewage plant, but we sort of did see a few polywaffles go flying. Ah, yeah. And, um, yeah, and I... As you can probably tell, like I'm a marathon talker, so I can talk while I swim, like in between freestyle, but I kept my mouth shut and I just swam and I said to Dawn, don't even think of riding on the whiteboard what I'm touching right now. Like I don't want to see this is, oh, look out, pile of poo on your left, like, you know. (laughs) So I just went, went for it. Anyway, I ended up winning the race um, that year. And they give you this trophy. It's a perpetual trophy. You don't get to hold it for real long, but it's from Tiffany's. So I was, like, pretty excited. My first yeah. experience holding a Tiffany's trophy. And I'm like, yeah. And probably about 10, 15 minutes after I finished the race, um, I became I started to feel really crook. Uh. So Dawn took me back to the hotel and then, you know, I had the worst case of gastro. And actually it was so bad that we had to get a doctor in um, to give me some injections so that I could actually get on the plane and fly home. I was that crook. And that was just from naturally ingesting the water. And I and experienced that in various degrees over the course of sort of my marathon swimming career. So it kind of developed organically as that, you know, um, being in the water for such a long period of time, I actually reflect, my body reflects what the water quality is. So, mm. you know, you get sick, you get infections, that sort of thing. So um, coming back to Australia, one of the things I wanted to do was to highlight the Murray. The Murray, the Murray has a few different issues um, that, mostly that there's not enough water in it because they hold a lot of the water up. They don't release it. And so it's been an issue. There's been this fight between farmers and, and you know, obviously wanting enough uh, for the environment. And it's a bit of a balance because the Murray is our food bowl as well. And I think farmers cop a bit a bad rap a lot of the time too because they're custodians of the land and they don't, you know, they're not like looking to cause havoc. You know, 95% of them, obviously, you still get your ones that do. But um, so it was really important for me to actually use the swim, not not as a scientist, because I think we get a lot of information shoved down our throats and we don't really understand. So my goal in doing the swim was really just to be the human water quality tester. And I was writing a weekly diary in the Herald Sun and doing lots of interviews and saying, 
this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I'm feeling, this is what's happening along this area. So, and there was a great website set up and so kids were following me from schools around the world wow. and basically yeah. logging in and seeing, you know, and seeing all your posting photos and stuff like that so that they could learn about the ecology of the river, what was affecting it. So there were certain sections, yeah, where I, I was very sick and, you know, obviously there's a lot of fertilisers in certain areas that run into the river. The, when the flow is really poor, um, you're not getting that water moving. Also, when I swam into the, the Barma Forest, um, there was what they call black water, which is when, um, so the river had actually been in drought for five years before I did my swim. And I actually had to do a reconnaissance pretty much of the whole river in the sort of 18 months leading up just for planning. And I actually thought that it was so low that I thought I'd be walking some parts of it. I didn't think I'd be able to swim it. And then um, the week before, actually, no, a couple of days before I planned to start, the heavens opened up <laughs> and the river was in flood and it was so high that it was over the over the fence lines. And so the SES advised me not to start because it's, it's just too dangerous. You could end up in some barbed wire fences. So I postponed by a couple of weeks. Um, but, again, that changed the river that I'd seen, like, in mm. the lead-up to the planning. It was now this raging river. So... It, it, you know, got almost like a flush, which was good. So I, I didn't get as sick as I thought I would in some mm. parts. But the Barma Forest, so what had happened is the river had come out of its banks, it had gone into the forest, mm. and then it had receded back into the yeah. river again. And when when leaves, when leaves when trees drop their leaves, um, they have tannin in them. And so the water had soaked up all the tannin out of the leaves and brought mm. that back into the river system. Now, tannin mixed tannin extracts oxygen from the water so what was happening as I was swimming we were seeing all the yabbies and the crayfish clambering up the side of the banks because they couldn't breathe in the water so in actual fact all the fisheries guys were coming along from New South Wales and Victorian fisheries going along the river to stop people from just picking up their dinner like going I'll have all these crayfish could have wiped out the whole species so so there were all sorts of things that were going on and it was it was really nice for me to be able to just report it in from a layman's perspective. This is yeah. what I'm seeing. This is what I'm tasting. This is what I'm smelling. Mm-hmm. So, and really my my whole goal was to just draw people's attention into the river system and say, hey, do you know your, have a look in your pantry. Do you know that your pasta, your rice, your cereal, this all comes from, you know, the Mildura region or, you know, mm-hmm. so that people started to make that connection because I think, we kind of lost our country roots connection a lot and we don't understand yeah. a lot of the kids don't understand where things come from and don't make mm. that understanding so they don't care. So I wanted yeah. to bring back that that care and that compassion. Yeah. And it was great because when I finished, um, the Prime Minister actually asked me to fly to Canberra. I met um, with John Howard at the time yeah. to talk about what the same thing, what I'd experienced and, you know, and some more, they injected some more money and, um, you know, worked with the Murray-Darling Basin for many, many years to try and help, you know, rectify situations. Yeah. The, the Murray's still an ongoing issue. It's, it's yeah. hard when you've got three states involved. That's the problem. You've got to get three yeah. states all with varying interests as well. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, it's an ongoing issue. But, um, you know, I was proud to at least have um you know had that kind of impact that I had on the river and 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 the people along the way and I tell you what really got to me though was as I was swimming there were people that would come down the banks and you know they would hug me literally and they would be in tears and say to me thank you for what you're doing for the river oh like, wow was, yeah, yeah you know one of the you know beautiful memories that I have of doing the Murray because the Murray was super special to me because normally 
I swim from point A to point B, landmass to landmass, a lot of the swims. You don't get to see anyone other than your crew, which is lovely. But for the Murray, I literally had people on the banks the whole way. You know, I'd have people that knew I was swimming past and they'd they'd have taken the, you know, an old bed sheet and they'd write a message and they'd hang it up between (laughs) the trees. One time I remember swimming through a town called Tulibuck mm-hmm. and um, and this beautiful this beautiful guy and his mum had, had written a message again and, you know, and said, Tammy, cup of tea, Tammy. And so as I'm swimming past, the crew said, oh, you know, there's someone on the side of the river there. He's got his billy boiling and he's written a message, cup of tea, do you want to stop? And I said, of course. So we made a bit of a detour. We stopped. We had a cup of tea, um, you know, and a bit of cake and stuff and it was it's really nice to be able to connect with people and hear their stories yeah. as well. So I was getting all sorts of information from people that had lived on the river for many, many years too. So that was just beautiful. Wow. And when you talked before about it's not about the achievement, it's about the journey. That that's there's so much in that, just in that one swim. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yes. Look, that that one swim was, you know, that I could dine out on that for a lifetime. Honestly, the mm. the amazing people that I met and the things that happened, you know, even swimming into the locks. So, you know, the Murray has a, a, a series of locks that help yeah. the yeah. keep the water level. So when boats are going through, you know, you usually um bring your boat in, they, they open the gates, your boat goes in, they close the gates and then they level the water down so that you can and then open the gate and you can go through and of course I had to I had to swim into the lock so what would happen was um, my crew would go in first with the boat then I would swim in and then I would climb on my boat they would shut the gate they would level the water open the gate and when, when it was safe I would jump back in crew would you know follow me out again so so even that like people knew that was like a point people knew that I was coming and they'd come and watch me swim into the lock and I remember going into a, a lock near Robin Vale at Euston Lock, it's called, and there was a, a lock keeper there, again, who was just, he was beside himself, he was crying. He said, I can't believe that you're doing this to highlight the river and we're so grateful. And, you know, it's just such a moving experience. It really, emotionally for me, it just, oh, it just, just gave me a whole other drive and, and, and perspective and look on life. And when you do things for others, I think when it comes from a place of gratitude and joy, you know, your purpose is really, really strong. And, and I think, you know, to be able to find, to be able to find that kind of a purpose is, is just such a special thing. And you, you usually find that you're so much more determined and you can get through so many more obstacles when when your purpose for your journey is really really strong and, and for me swimming the Murray that that purpose was was super strong um because of the people but also I you know I also had some personal tragedy just before I started the swim my, my dad had passed away not long mm. before the swim as well so you know I was kind of doing it for him so that that's mm. you know there was so many things going on so emotionally for me when I when I got to the end of the the Murray River swim it was a big outpouring of um, mm-hmm. emotion and relief and joy and happiness. But also it was really quite funny because I woke up the next day and I was feeling a bit lost because for like mm. 106 days I'd had a goal, get up, yeah. get in the yeah. river, try and swim to a point, whatever. And now here I was on the 107th day, woke up, sure it was nice to have a sleep in, but I'm like, where am I swimming to today? Like it's done. <laughs> you know, like we were on this adventure, we were on this journey and it's finished. And so, you know, you like you were talking about before, having something else to aim for, I think sometimes that can be the hardest part is when you've set a goal and you achieve it and then there's that, oh, I should be feeling like on top of the world. And you do for a bit 
But then there's that big down period as well where you're yeah. going, so is this all there is? Yeah. And what do I do now? And and it's kind of, again, trying to sort of get that mindset back and say, okay, well, it's time to reset, you know, reframe, reset. Where are we moving to? What are we learning about? How are we going to step in that, step out of that comfort zone again and, and do something new? So mm. it's a constant, constant thing that we, I mean, you know, you never stop learning. This is the thing. Like even now, even with all the challenges I've done, you'd think, you know, hey, she wouldn't be afraid to do anything or whatever. But still, even now, things, yeah. you know, things scare me and I have to, again, remind myself and go, hey, you've done all these swims. You can't be afraid of, you know, going and uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> speaking in front of a group of school children. Come on, like, you know, it's not that bad. So, so you constantly, life's a constant battle. You know, no one's ever motivated all the time. No one's ever super enthusiastic. We all have our ups and downs and I think it's just a, constantly you're working on just bettering yourself and to just do the best job that you can and surround yourself with great yeah. people and I think you're already you know three quarters of the way there but you know it's expecting that you're going to have times when you don't feel great it's expecting that you're going to you know not succeed in in everything that you try yeah. to do so that's the really big message really it's just an ongoing thing that we all we all go through that's human that's human nature isn't it it is, it is yeah <clears throat> it is and and you know none of us are perfect either you know and and you know there's there's things you still need to learn about swimming do you, you know like none of us none of yeah. us have got all the answers but you know i really i'm really loving it. i was i was listening to a podcast the other day and it was talking about how um you know people people strive for a I don't know what my purpose is you know I don't know what my passion is and that sort of stuff and and what she was saying was just fantastic and it's just it, just do do whatever needs to happen do do but do it do it for someone else like do it beyond yourself and look around and say well what needs to happen here and what what skills can I bring to this to make something better and you talking about you know, um, highlighting the Murray River and all these people you, the, this, thanking you. Thank you for change, highlighting. Sometimes we can have a, a skill and we think, well, I can't change the world with that. I can't make a difference with that. You know, I'm just a swimmer or I'm just a something or other. But there's always a way to use that thing we've got to impact other people. And it's that thought about thinking beyond ourselves to, to just thinking how can I how can I contribute this to help somebody else and it's you know your Murray River swim really highlights highlights doing that I love it so much good uh, look I, I 100% agree with you <laughs> oh look you know I, I I have to I guess you know a lot of my my thought processes come from my parents and I was so blessed to have um two beautiful parents but my dad grew up through the tail end of the second world war in Holland so he was only a youngster but he used to tell us stories about you know like the Luftwaffe coming down the main street and he saw friends killed and oh, so God. always at home we you know like I guess like we really grew up with an appreciation of how lucky we were to have a roof over our heads to be safe and to have food on the table like he even told us a story he was one of six children and he told us a story of how his dad walked 80 kilometers to get the family a loaf of bread and he always told me when he ate it he remembered it tasted like cake like and these sort of things stuck with me and then when we were growing up um I, we, we grew up in um Springvale and at the time the Vietnamese boat people were coming out and we had the Enterprise Hostel was where they were all being placed, all the refugees were being placed. And my dad said, um, 
I want to help a family. We're going to help a family because I know what it's like to come to a new country, to not know anybody, um, you know, and to help, you know, to not have anyone give you a start in life, no connections. So we were matched up with a family that had um, two kids and, and, you know, and so it was really, I guess it was a really big eye-opener for, you know, myself for sure and my brother and and it's become a, they're like my family now too, like I still, oh, you know, we're so nice. close. Yeah, like my brother and sister basically. So, and again, it just teaches you so much about life, about everything. You know, they had to leave everything behind. Yeah. Had to jump on a boat. Some of them didn't make it. Like, you know, pirates came and attacked the ships. Far and out. So wow. they lost cousins and, you know, family went missing. It's, you just, I think we all need a perspective. Yeah. Um, yeah. Change. Sometimes I think we, we, we get in our own little bubble and our own problems become the biggest thing that we have. And I think if you if you look outside your bubble and you continue to kind of be thankful for what you have and look around you and look at other, there's always somebody in a worse situation than you. And that's what I always say, like, there's always somebody suffering more. There's always somebody who's going through so much more than you. What can you do to help? You know, like Mm. you can't help all the time, but sure, you know, in general, if you go, okay, well, this is my area of expertise and maybe I can just contribute a little bit. It doesn't have to be something outrageous, you know. And it doesn't often, have to be swimming the married. You know? No, that's right. But often, often it's just bloody kindness. You know, it's just be bloody kind to people. And and yeah, you know, it's um amazing what it's um it's amazing how much I I, I want to say energy, but that's not the right word. But how much something I can't think of the word. But how much how, that good feeling, you know, that you give to someone that that can actually push them over the line. Do you know, hundred percent save their 100%. life. Hundred percent. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. it, exactly, you know, and I think especially, you know, since we've been through COVID, I think it's even more super important and we've realised that we need the connection, you know, yes. that we are not we are not individuals. We don't thrive at all being at home locked away. You know, we need we need people. That's our species. We need to help each other. We need to be with each other. Yeah. That's, you know, that's how we get fulfilment in our lives and that's mm-hmm. how we, you know, we, we go out and we experience and we grow when people are behind us and they, yeah. they help us or offer us that, you know, just a little bit of generosity or kindness. It just makes such a big difference. You know, right. One of my favourite things is to just walk. When I take the dog for a walk, I love, I'd love just smiling and saying hello to people. You know, mm-hmm. you see people that look really sad, they'll be, you know, and they're obviously got something going on or perhaps it's not a great mood and you kind of go, you know, morning and you see them kind of go and you think, well, you know, that that just that can change their whole day. Like, you yeah. know, because it's like when you're, you know, when you're driving and and you're trying to sort of sneak across the lane and no one will let you in and it gets you in that, oh, God, <laughs> they're not letting me in. And then yeah. you start to have that negative, you know, mindset. Yeah. But when somebody lets you in, it's like, oh, that was so lovely of them and you wave and you go in and you kind of like you're more likely to pay that forward because you're already in that frame of mind. And I think, you know, this is a thing, isn't it? It's a bit like we're trying to make it contagious. Do one small thing for one person and and hopefully that person does it for somebody else. And then, you know, so impacting one person can really have like this spider web effect of impacting lots of people. And I think, you know, that that's something that's very realistic for us to do on a daily basis is to, you know, just be yeah. kind to someone in the supermarket, whatever, yeah. letting them in the, you know, in the traffic. Yeah. And 
they're little teeny tiny things that don't cost you anything so well you know it's funny because and I do that to especially to elderly people you know I'm always and I say the same as you morning (laughs) yeah their face lights up but that bit you just said about impacting people I just did a video the other um last week I stayed down at Painesville and did a talk you know for a well-being uh, um program and and I and the, the next morning I was so inspired to just do a video my mind you my face looked nothing like the epitome of wellness but anyway um I was <laughs> exhausted no, it, it's um but what I thought I was really thinking about it because at the end of the night you know people were saying to me oh that was thought-provoking that was so inspiring and all, all those great things but then one woman come up and she said you know we only have to change one person's life don't we and and I said you know we that's so true. And I said, if I, when I do my talks and things, I, I, I love to impact many. But if there's that one person who takes away a profound message, and then I did a video the next morning on it. It's like, if you profoundly impact one person, and then that person ends up telling 10, and then they all tell 10, and that's 10, so on and so on and so on, you end up, you can end up impacting 1 million people before you know it. You know, like people say, oh, oh no one wants to hear what I've got to say. I've got nothing to say. But bullshit because if you if you say it from your heart and you friggin mean it and you you extend love to and and hit someone else's heart that can go for miles that that can you think you've got nothing to offer but you can change the world do you, you know it's um absolutely and and do you know what and it doesn't like I said it doesn't have to be anything outrageous it's not mm. like you have to you know go and really put yourself out there's small things like I said you know every single day we see people and just being being kind and and grateful and saying hello and um you know sometimes people just need that just changes their day like absolutely. I said and it makes others you know behave the same way because you you're passing it on you're showing that you know there is kindness in the world and so then you go okay well I'll pass that on because I'm happy now so I'm gonna I'm more likely to smile and help somebody else out if somebody's done it for me and that's like you said you know from one person to another and it just gets passed on so I think you know that's the greatest thing simplest and greatest thing we can do. I know and when we're when we're feeling when we experience kindness and we're feeling happy we're more likely to be open and connected and that's that's where we're going to make the difference it's Oh, I love this conversation. Well, I'm going to get back to you. I'm going to get back to you swimming just for a second because I want to ask one thing. The Loch Ness, you, you swam across um, the the, uh, the Scottish Loch Ness and Aye. and the and the English Channel, and um, in fact, you went across the English Channel twice, and you you did the first the, the fastest solo swimmer, but you also did the first brother and sister to cross. Your brother swims as well. Yeah, he's just as crazy as me. <laughs> It runs in the family. What can I say? <laughs> You're planning another um, brother sister event any time or not? Uh, no, no, we're not not at the moment. No, we we did that. God, that was so long ago, Neil. But um, that was sort of at the very beginning of both our, I guess, our endurance careers. And and he's actually a lot more talented. He's doing um like uh, triathlons, long enduro triathlons now. So he's good at running and riding as well, which I don't have talents in in running. I'm trying to run, but uh, it's sort of not been my thing. So, you know, we've gone in different different ways, but it was really special to to be able to do it. But the, the backstory with that is so we, we went over to the English Channel in 93 with the goal of becoming the first brother and sister to swim together. And we did 
like a lot of cold water training. So you have to acclimatize to cold water because yeah. that's that's you know, of the at the time it had a seven percent success rate, the English Channel, and most of that was due to people getting hypothermia. Yeah. So yeah. which is when your you know your core body temperature just drops three degrees and, and you know there's that slow creeping of slow death yeah slow death yeah you know and most people when they get cold they get out of the water to you know make themselves safe but you've got to keep swimming even though you know you're heading into different stages of hypothermia so so to combat it we um we swam the whole winter in Port Phillip Bay so we you know we were down every morning you know bay got down to like nine degrees and we were there at six o'clock in the morning in the dark because you have to get used to swimming in the dark as well because you could cross in the dark so we were out swimming you know in the dark and yeah I know (laughs) and we took the like the electric blankets off our beds we were like in shorts and t-shirt we were we were in we were committed to being really ready for the cold and the other thing that you have to do is so your other teammate when you're swimming long distances cold water is body fat. So we started by um, just eating lots of carbs and, you know, pastas and stuff, but it, it didn't really help us gain weight. So we had to sort of, you know, eat lots of junk feed as well to try and help bulk up. So uh, by the time we got over to the channel, I'd put on 10 kilos and John had put on 10 kilos as well. But he's a lot taller and skinnier than me. So I did notice that he was actually uh, feeling the cold a lot quicker than I was, even in our training swims. And I was actually a bit concerned about him so we traveled over there and it was one of the first big swims that dawn dawn came on board um and you know came across to england with us and so we we uh, have two separate boats that's sort of the rules of the channel everybody has to have their own support boat so we started together on the beach and dawn was on john's boat and you know i had some um my swim coach on mine we headed off and we swam together probably for about the first three or four hours and then he sort of took off and went. he decided he was going to be the skinniest and the fastest man across the channel. So he was at a faster pace than me, I think, because he wanted to outswim the cold. So he headed off and I just kept asking my support crew, you know, keep me updated on where he is and what's going on. And as they got towards the end, um, I was asking about John and they weren't giving me messages back so quickly and I I sensed that something was wrong. I didn't know um, what exactly had happened, but I knew something hadn't gone to plan because he hadn't finished yet and I expected that he would have beaten me across. So anyway, I finished my swim and I set the fastest time for the year. Swam back to the boat and I said to them, oh, fantastic, how's John? Where is he? Is he finished? You know, what's going on? And that's when they told me that four kilometres away from the coast of France, he actually had disappeared under the boat, stopped breathing, hypothermic. Um, Dawn had to jump in and actually um, grab him and and save him. And she hauled him back on board the boat, uh, gave him mouth to mouth. She broke four ribs in the process because it was such a rough crossing. It was cold and rough that that day that we went. Um, So that she, yeah, so she managed to... um, she managed to get him back and they, they rushed him back to the hospital and, and he was okay. He, you know, he was shaken up, but um, he was fine. So, so it was a really big scare, like, you know, to understand the full impact of hypothermia because I guess it was something that we knew was serious but we didn't know was that serious. So to John's credit, he, um, we, we got back to Australia and he said, you know, I want to go back and let's, let's you know, do this again next year. I, I want to be the first brother, sister. I want to make it across. And I said, Fantastic, I said, but you'll need to put on some more weight because, you know, you definitely weren't big enough to, you know, last the distance. So he really struggled putting on weight. But Dawn, she said she had a secret recipe for putting on weight and she said to him, well, she used to own a pub in Balmain and she said, I'd like you to drink a big glass of stout 
mixed with a teeny tiny bit of lemonade every night before you go to bed. And uh, John John adhered to that uh, dietary plan <laughs> and gained 20, 22 kilos the following year. Oh, my God. Yeah, 22 oh kilos, God. yeah, and he made it across and he... And we became the first brother and sister. So we went back, you know, the following year and he conquered his, uh, yeah, conquered the channel. Oh. And, yeah, so so hypothermia, yeah, very scary. And so, so it sounds really weird, but, it, you know, for a sporting person to say, I actually have to put on weight because yeah. it's it's life or death, like quite literally yeah. um, you need the weight. And it actually helps you to some degree also when you swim because fat gives you buoyancy. So the more body fat you have, the better you float. So the more efficient you are because you're at the top of the water and mm. you're not having to expend so much energy with your muscles trying to keep yourself up. So you're really just focusing on propelling forward. So there's some advantages to it. Obviously, you have to strengthen your muscles to be able to pull that weight. But yeah. so it's a bit of a, you know, a juggle. But it's funny going over to the English Channel because, you you know, you're on, you're, you're on standby when you get there. So you have like a two-week window to swim. And you, you're in communication constantly with your boatman and he's trying to match up the, the weather and the tides. And every day, you know, you speak to him, he says, no, look, tomorrow doesn't look very good. We've got the winds coming in, da, da, da. But he might call you in the afternoon and say, listen, we've got a change of plan. There's a break in the weather. I want you to be ready to go in four hours. Wow. And so you're kind of on this constant high alert for like yeah. this two-week time period. So it's, it's very hard mentally to be ready to go as well. You know, it's kind of like, are we going to go today? Are we not going to go? So you get up, but you go down to Dover Beach and that's where all the aspiring channel swimmers go to train. And so you kind of like compare tummies. You kind of go, wow, you, you look great. How you manage to put on all that weight? So, you know, it's funny to, to think that you, you exchange these stories about how did you get so fat? <laughs> Oh my God, I love it. I've been yeah. to Dover, actually, seen the White Cliffs. And I'll tell you yes. what, I was just thinking I'd be fine. I'd be floating because I've got this, like, um, a tubular tyre around my gut. You know? <laughs> It'd probably be bobbing my head in and out of the water. <laughs> well, see, I, I always say to people, you put on a bit of weight, that's okay. Just tell just tell people you're training for a channel swim. Yeah, yeah, or know? just go for a swim. Um, how long does it take to get across the English Channel? So the English Channel is 35 kilometres in a straight line, but you never end up swimming that way because you've got the tides running uh, yeah. along the English coast and the French coast. So you usually end up doing almost like an S course. So it's probably closer to 40-ish. And it took me eight hours and 32 minutes to swim across. Yeah. So and that's that's, a, that's quite a short one. But, you know, yeah, that's that's still a like, big day's work. I can tell well, I never thought I'd say that. I mean, at the time when I was on the channel, that was like, oh, my God, I remember crying when I saw the White Cliffs of Dover because I'd been dreaming about, you know, going to England. It was my first time in England. I'd been yes. swimming about the channel for so long. But, uh, but you know, as I continued on, it's like now I look back and go, yeah, the channel, that was great. Just a short swim, really, you know, <laughs> compared to when you do Bass Strait, it's 100 k's or the Murray, two and a half thousand. So yeah. it's amazing what your mind gets used to, though, like, you know, when you're focused on something and, you know, you achieve, so you set your goal, you achieve it, and then you go, wow, I've got so much confidence now that I'm, what can I do next? And so you build, I think the secret is building, it's just slowly, 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 like like climbing up a ladder, you know, you just extend yourself a little bit further. And that's, 
And that's kind of what I did throughout my marathon swimming career. I started with a, a 20 kilometer swim was my first ever marathon. And then I, I went to a 30 kilometer and then I tried a couple of four or five forties and then I did a 60 and then I, I did like a hundred, you know, so it's kind of always been, you know, a little bit further, a little bit further. What can I do? And every swim I approached was what, what can I learn from this? What, what is this swim going to teach me? You know, because I'm learning so much about my mind I'm learning about what my body can cope I'm learning about the correlation I'm learning what I can eat you know how we can work together better as a support crew so so many things that you take away from every swim and I think as long as you do that every time you go on a challenge or you set yourself a goal if you have that thought in mind is what am I going to learn you know what what have I learned from this or what am I learning you know what has it taught me then then you always think about the lessons and you don't think so much about the actual achievement and I think that's that's where the growth is you know you see the learning yeah and that's all we're here we're we're not here to achieve we're here to grow we're here well I think we are but any anyway um 100% when what about in the the Loch Ness? Like, honest, come on, tell me the truth. Were you hoping to see the Loch Ness monster? Because I would be. I, you know, that might be the only thing that would get me in the bloody water. Hoping that I might have a swim with it. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, um, I had never been to Scotland prior to, and of course, lots of people had told me, "Oh, you know, that's where the monster lives," and there was all this stuff. And I was joking about it, honestly. You know, I was having a bit of a laugh, going, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, monsters, right, right, right." And I got to Scotland, and I remember arriving and going for my first training swim at the lock, and and I was literally took my breath away because it is. To paint a picture, it's a long, narrow body of water with two huge mountain ranges on either side. It sits in a valley called the Great Glen, and the average depth of the water is 200-plus metres. Now, the water colour is black because there's peat that washes down from the mountains into the water. So you dive in. It is the coldest water I've ever swum in. It is fresh water. So... When you swim in the ocean, the difference is like you can swim in cold water in the ocean, but it, it doesn't seem to be, it's not as dense and it doesn't yeah. feel as heavy because yeah. um, you get that buoyancy from the salt. But in yeah. fresh water, you don't have that buoyancy. So I immediately dived in freezing and started to sink. Like, oh, and I hadn't had that experience. Before. And I'm swimming and I'm looking at the blackness below <laughs> and there's mist hanging low and I'm thinking, oh, my God, my mind, again, you know, my fears started to run away with me and I'm thinking the monster's going to come up and eat me at any point. <laughs> you know, here I am, this person, you know, very rational person I would have thought, but I'm placed in this situation and all of a sudden my mind's just running crazy with yeah. all the things that can happen. So I hopped out, you know, and reassessed and went, yeah, yeah, of course there's no monster. That's fine. But it is an eerie, eerie place and, um, yeah, one of the coldest swims. And um, But, but again, uh, what I do remember from Scotland is the warmth of the people. Even mm-hmm. though the water was cold, the most beautiful people. Like, yeah. honestly, a lot of them were like, when I told them what I was there to do, they were like, what? We never <laughs> swim in the lock. Like, you know, a hot day, a hot summer's day in Scotland is 16 degrees and they're all out in shorts and T-shirts going, oh, what a great summer this is, you know, and I'm like still in my trackies going, <laughs> how am I going to manage this? But, um, but yeah, look, it, it, one of the things I love too is that um, Dawn's father was Scottish, Dawn Fraser, and so she was part of my support crew and, and she actually speaks Gaelic and um, oh. so it was yeah so it was quite funny we, we had so many adventures outside of the swim you know to kind of take 
take the edge off, so to speak, for the actual swim. But uh, I, I just remember I was so cold that at one point I, I really did wish that Nessie had come up and eat me because I was that cold. And I said that to Dawn. She goes, how are you going? You know, and I'm like, I'm freezing. I wish Nessie had eat me. And she get, she replied back to me, well, well, Nessie doesn't like cold cuts, so just keep swimming, you know. <laughs> So very practical, you know, these are the things you laugh about afterwards, you, you know, so it's, it's that kind of a banter that I have with my crew and, and, yeah, so getting to the finish was pretty special and I remember the, the crew had actually arranged for a Scottish piper to be oh, wow. on the bank and, yeah, and he was playing while singing Matilda on his bagpipes, fully dressed. He was actually, he actually played at Madonna's wedding, so he was a pretty, uh, Duncan McGillivray was his name and... Wow. I was so I was so cold. I couldn't really appreciate it, to be honest with you. I heard it, but I, I was that I was that close to that place being hypothermic because you know it was yeah, eight degrees, yeah. and I, I I was that cold. They had to actually whisk me away and take me back to um, the house that we were staying in and run like a tepid bath yeah. and just gently warm my temperature because the the frightening thing with hypothermia is what they call after drop, which is when so your body, you, you've probably noticed when you get cold, one of the first things that happens is your fingers and your toes, your hands, they sort of start to get, um, you know, very numb and you see them go a little bit blue. And that's just the body shutting down. Uh, it's constricting the vessels, slowing the blood flow out to the peripherals because it doesn't want it to come back cold and yeah. then give you a heart attack. So quite literally it's just protecting the core, protecting the, the heart, the lungs, yeah. and obviously the brain. So... The reverse of that is so when you're rewarming, if you warm too quickly in your peripherals, then that blood comes back and you can, again, have high tech. So the idea wow. is to really just warm yourself very, very slowly, slowly, slowly. So I literally was in just probably what you would call a cold bath to start with compared to Loch Ness. It was probably like a 10-degree, 12-degree bath. So And they gradually had to warm it up, warm it up, because I was that cold. So, yeah, oh. so it was pretty scary for me. That was probably the closest I'd come um, to being hypothermic. I had a couple experiences where I, I've known I'm close, but the scary thing with hypothermia is that, you think you're in control, but you're yeah. not. So, so if somebody asks you a question, like, are you okay? You can go yes, and you can reply simple, you know, to simple questions. But if somebody asks you, what's your date of birth? You know, what's your middle name? Anything that takes a little bit more thought process, you, you, you can't, you can't your do that. So, your brain is literally, it's like being in a big slurpy. You, you know, your brain's just absolutely frozen. So, so they're kind of cues also that like I have a pact with my crew, usually Dawn, and I say to her, if if you think I'm getting close to hypothermia, because I need somebody else to make that call because yeah. I can't make the call myself. Yeah. Yeah. So after that experience with John, we realised because, you know, not 10 minutes before, you know, Dawn had said, are you okay? And he said yes, and then 10 minutes later, yeah, you know, under the boat. So now we know that if, if there's any sort of thought where, you know, we're in any danger, we just ask at the feedstock, you know, what's your date of birth? Mm. You know, where do you live? What day is it? Those sorts of questions. And and I know that if I don't answer those straight away, that, you know, the swim, Dawn will call the swim off and she'll pull me out of the water. So mm. you've got to have this trust. So literally I'm placing my life in the mm. hands of the, the crew because they've got to make those decisions. It's taken out of my hands. You know, when you're hypothermic, you, you cannot make those decisions anymore. So, And that's the really hard part about, you know, all the training and, you know, stuff that you put in for these things. So it's like, do I pull them out? So it's a really hard 
you know, position to put your crew in as well to make that decision for you. So, mm. yeah, there's a, a lot of process and thought that goes into it and a lot of trust. So, yeah, hypothermia, scary, scary hey, thing. Look, fantastic, Tammy. If you're trying to um, sell me uh, to become a swimmer, you haven't done a very good job. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't need the competition, Karen, so ah. that's okay. <laughs> well, I've got better buoyancy than you, I can assure you of that. But uh, a, a greater fear of the bloody one. No, don't worry. You've got no competition here. Um, <laughs> you, you and I can compete over the stage. We'll just stay on that level. <laughs> all right. All right. Sounds good. Because you have not convinced me to get in that water. I can tell you what. Oh, oh, look, I love this. And we're going to wrap up in a minute, but there's something that I want to ask you about. You talk about the five habits of highly persistent people and clearly to swim, you know, like this and to continue on and to, and to, have close calls, you know, and then and then still complete complete it, and and then go. I'm going to do it again. Like that's persistence, you know, and 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 all the all the lead up that goes on, leading, you know, yeah, the the, the months, if not years, leading up to a, a big big thing. That's persistency. So, what what are the five habits that you think are um, in in highly persistent people? Oh, absolutely. Look, persistence, I'd say, is one of the keys to success because you know what you. You, you, I'm not talented. I, I, you know, honestly, I wasn't the most gifted child in the water swimming. I don't have any special gifts. It's, and I really do think that, you know, my biggest gift is that I don't give up. Yeah, and that's yeah. persistence at the end of the day. So number one, I'd have to say would be passion. Whatever you do, you've got to have your purpose and your passion because that's yeah. that's your driving force. That's your why. That's something that you come back to when you're feeling really bad. You've got to yeah. have that, that starting point to relate to. Um, the second thing is really not looking for excuses. You know, I think when you make your commitment to something there's no excuses you you yeah. have to make this non-negotiable contract and say well I'm you know I want to do this so this is this is my level of commitment and I'm not going to make any excuses for for what I'm doing um the third thing is to be ready for change like I think a lot of us you know aren't prepared for change but I think if you're in your mind and you are going to know that you're going to go um, down this road and it's going to have rocky points it's going to have great points but it's going to have a lot of bumps along the way and you're ready for that and your mind accepts that and says okay this is not going to be easy already you're halfway there because you're you're having that expectation it doesn't it doesn't sort of take you by surprise and I think that's the biggest thing that stops us is when something happens and it takes us by surprise but if we know it's coming we can kind of almost have it in our mind and it's almost like a big mental hurdle that we've we've already crossed before we get going and the fourth thing is surround yourself with positive people I've spoken a lot about that today but honestly if you've got um, people around you that are lifting you up rather than bringing you down it makes a tremendous difference and also it's a it's like an accountability crew as well you know mm. when I when I train I have a, a coach at the pool in the mornings and I have a squad you know they're other extra reasons extra layers for me to get up get going and go to the pool and swim all those laps so having people to keep you accountable just makes us you know give that extra bit of commitment to do things helps keep us going and the final thing is get out of your comfort zone every day you know yeah. I, again I think that you know we live in this bubble we spoke about being in this bubble and I'm not talking about doing like massive change every single day can be something really, really small, just yeah. extending yourself a little bit every single day, getting used to knowing that growth happens in the hard places. Yeah. You know, we, we don't get any better if if we're not pushed a little bit and we don't have that little bit of anxiety and fear. It's actually good for us. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. You know, I'm not talking about the crippling anxiety and the yeah. crippling fear, but just that little bit of going, oh, 
oh, I'm, I'm a bit, you know, nervous about this. Yeah. That's okay. And it's good to have a bit of that in your day every single day because you get conditioned to it. You know, you really get used to it. And that's, again, something that I've done, you know, my whole life. I guess I was pretty lucky with being a swimmer because every time you go to training, your coach is asking you to step outside your comfort zone. He's wanting you to do stuff and say, hey, I need you to be doing these repeats at this time and I know it's going to be hard and I know you've never done it before, but this is what you've got to try. And quite often you don't make it. You might ask me to do 10 100s on a, on a cycle that, you know, let's say one minute 20 and I and I do seven of them and I, and I absolutely can't make the last three. Yeah. That's okay because, yeah. you know, what? I've already extended myself and I do that same set again, you know, a couple of days later and I might get to eight or nine. Yeah. And then, you know, another week later or two weeks later I might actually do the whole lot. 10, 10 100s on the 120, that's progress. That's yeah. excitement. But you've got to be prepared for pushing yourself outside that comfort zone and knowing that failure is a good thing because that's where growth is. I agree. Oh, I love those fives. That's fantastic. I agree with your persistence, God, by God, because we we do give up too quick. We do. And as soon as it hurts, oh, that, um, oh that's too hard. And I'm a bit scared. Yeah. Of that. But oh, that's still, I'm not be gonna gonna become a, pers- a persistent swimmer. <laughs> that's okay. Do you know what? One of the beautiful things about being human is that we all have our strengths and talents. And yeah. and if we were all good at everything wouldn't it be a boring place so I think Bloody you know it's nice we all have you know certain things that you know are just our our passions and that we love doing and yeah. and it makes us all unique so it's perfectly uh-huh. great 100% and I love public speaking and most people are like I would die if I got on that stage so do, do you know what I used to be like that too though I'm Funnily enough, when I first, you know, when I first started swimming, I, I was very shy at school, but really, really shy. And um, and once I started getting a little bit of publicity for doing a couple of swims, you know, I started getting asked to speak at Rotary Clubs and things like that. And I remember going to my first school assembly and I just, I thought I was going to vomit all over the principal because <laughs> I was up on the stage and I was so nervous and I just thought, how am I going to do this? And I could feel the sweat just rolling down my back and, oh, and, and again, I just kept, I kept doing it and I kept, you know, pushing yeah. myself and saying, come on, come on. And now I still get a bit nervous, but I know that nervous is, um, it's a good, good thing to be nervous, you know, that pumped up sort of the yeah. adrenaline energy. And now I love it. I love connecting with people like like yourself. Yeah. It's it's so nice to, you know, make a difference in and, you know, share stories with people. It's just the best, yeah. best thing ever. So, you know, again, you can see you can do whatever you want to do. I, I honestly would never have thought I'd be sitting here saying to you, I love speaking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I do. <laughs> See, there you go. That's your thing. Because <laughs> uh, you know, I started off singing, you know, when I was 15. So I've been on stage since I was 15. So to, to me, it's easy. You know, it was a natural progression. But it's um, but getting on stage in the first place wasn't freaking easy. That was terrifying. But Yeah. Was, See, it's, it's we, these hurdles that you have to overcome and, you know, yeah. you do them in small ways and you, you keep going, keep going and then you know your brain accepts it so it's kudos to you it's a you know skill set that a lot of people are very afraid of yeah yeah I agree well Tammy this has been absolutely fabulous chatting with you are we finishing already oh sorry yeah well I keep saying to people I'm gonna just knock them back and make them 45 minutes and every single one I just keep when we just get talking and talking and talking but as long as it's great talk I don't care (laughs) 
but you and I are going to chat in a couple of days anyway and have another another conversation. But um, and you're coming to the Girls at Hammers com- conference. Whoops, in in two weeks and three. Whenever I put this out, I'll put it out next week. Be three weeks away, but um, it's it's going to be um, I can't wait <sighs> to meet you in person. And you need to be careful because I'm a big hugger. And uh, I love hugging as well. We're going to get along like a house on fire. <laughs> big hug. Yeah. yeah, I'm a big squisher. And <laughs> Great. Oh, but it's going to be fantastic. But thank you so much for sharing all this today. And, you know, I, I hope people listen. Well, I hope people listen. Of course, they're going to listen to it. But, you know, and, and especially the people coming to the conference, um, you know, they're going to go, oh, my God, I can't wait to meet Tammy. The people who are not coming because we're sold out are going to be, God damn it, why didn't I buy a ticket? But That's um, it. <laughs> but oh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this. And, I, I look, I... I mean, I'm totally in admiration for you for what you've done. And I know you just say, well, you know, that's it. But it's these, the things you've done are phenomenal. You know, they're not just what the average person does. Most of us are scared of um, swimming outside of the pool or past where we can't stand up, you know. And it's just, I think that's phenomenal. I admire all that about you. But I tell you what, and I'm not taking away from any of that because I think that's great. What I love most about you is, is your kindness and your care, you know, for the for the world and for others and your, 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 your eagerness for every day contributing to people and making their world better, you know, and, and, and the world needs much more of that. And I just I, I truly value that so deeply in you and I'm so glad we've connected. You're just a, you're just a beautiful I'm, I'm making you cry. Stop it. You're making me cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're gorgeous. Thank you. No, that's, but you're right. That's what life's all about, though, you know. And I think also as you get older, you come to realize that, you know, it is so much more than, you know, just running around and the whatever the house you live in, all the car that you have, all those, you know. Things that you just, they're, they're actually worthless. It's the connections, the people, um, yeah. you know, how you make an impact in people's lives. That's, that's you know, the best part about being here on the planet is the biggest thing you can do is to help others. Yep. Yeah. Oh, 100% agree. God, I love you. I can't <laughs> wait to get that big hug. I might take you home with me, I think. <laughs> 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 Sounds good. You're bloody awesome. <laughs> All right. Well, thank, thank you, you very much for joining us, and, and we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Can't wait. <laughs> see you thank soon. You. See ya. Bye-bye. Oh, guys, I, I'm blown away. Like, I know Tammy just sort of says, ah, oh, yeah, it's nothing, and, you know, no big deal, but, wow, you know, like, to, I don't know. I'm petrified of bloody water. So when I think about you know the the, the swimming in the freezing cold, the sharks. Oh, I know it's unlikely to get eaten by a shark, but shit would still scare the hell out of me. And I'm I'm, I'm disappointed she didn't meet um, Nessie. But anyway, what a what an amazing amazing human. And as I said at the very end, I, I particularly love just her kindness and how much she you know is is just trying to put into the world. Um, helping people and making people feel good. So anyway, I really hope you enjoyed that because I reckon that was bloody fantastic. I forgot to ask Tammy where we can find her. So I'm going to look it up and I will make sure it's in the show notes. But I've absolutely loved that and hope you have too. So that's it. Um, thank you for joining me again this week. You guys are bloody marvellous. And if you're not coming to the conference, you know what? 
wow, you better book next year because there will be somebody just as inspiring. So anyway, that's it. Have a wonderful week and I'll catch you next week. See ya. Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com, tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.